passage today is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women, who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Yanes and Yambres opposed Moses, so all these teachers opposed the truth. They are men of depraved minds, who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those whom you learned it, and how the infancy you've known, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Spirit, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is God's word. Good morning, church. Uh, we're just going to be looking at the uh, second half of that, verses 10 to 17. If you were here last week, we were thinking about the first half of that chapter. The big idea we were thinking about last week, that uh, uh, don't let false ministries lead you to abandon the true gospel. This week is really kind of a continuation of that, but maybe a more positive slant to the encouragement, so we're going to get to do that same thing. Let's pray as we begin. Father, uh, we thank you so much that you, uh, you know the pressures that we face in following you um, in London, here and now in this century. You know the pressures that we face. And thank you so much that you don't leave us as orphans to face those pressures alone. You don't abandon us. That you really do equip us with what we need to stand on your truth uh, and to hold on to your gospel and to pass it on to the next generation. Lord, as we look at your provision for us here, now I pray that you'd be filling our hearts with confidence in you and in your love for us, we pray. Amen. But if we have that picture up, please. Uh, this is a picture 
of uh, a man called Charles Darrow. Uh, now, Charles Darrow uh, had uh, he'd had an idea. He'd invented um, a board game, and he loved this idea. He knew it worked. He knew it was going to make a good game, um, and uh, he took it to uh, a company called the Parker Brothers, a game developing company, board game developing company in the 30s. Uh, they were the titans of industry, really, at the time. And uh, he took them his idea, and they laughed him out of the room. They, uh, they told him that his idea um, would never sell, that it was too long, that it was too complicated. They actually analyzed the, his game, and they had a list of 52 reasons that this game would never work. Um, and so they, they, the pressure they put on him was to uh, either adapt this game beyond recognition or abandon it. Abandon your idea or adapt it beyond recognition. And so there, there, Charles, Charles Darry left, left, uh, left the offices, you know, their, their laughter ringing in his ears. And he was left, he was left with that choice. What's he going to do? He has this idea and he knows it works. But he's under immense pressure from these industry titans to abandon it or adapt it. What does he do? Well, he decides to stick with it. He produces the game on his own. Um, the first year, it sells 5,000 copies. Um, the Parker brothers then come crawling back to him and beg to, the, the, to produce this game for him. Now that game, you may have guessed it from the picture. Anyone, can anyone guess it? Monopoly. The game's called Monopoly. It's sold uh, 250 million copies. Apparently, a billion people have played it. Apparently, you know those little green houses? If you took all the little green houses and lined them up around the world, apparently they would stretch the whole way around the globe. Isn't that interesting? But all because, all because um, uh, Charles Darrow, he didn't adapt the idea. He didn't abandon the idea. He continued. He held on to it, despite the pressure that he was under. Now, basically today, this passage is encouraging Christians to do the same thing with the gospel. Have a look at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. The Apostle Paul is encouraging Timothy to continue. That word in the Greek, continue, there it means to, uh, to live in, to dwell in, to abide in, to put roots into this gospel that you've heard. Don't move on. Don't adapt it. Don't change. Put roots down into this gospel, um, he is saying. It's in, in, in every generation, Christians face pressure to, um, to adapt or to abandon um, the heart of the Christian faith. And we've seen it for Timothy, what those pressures were. Over the last couple of weeks, if you've been listening, we've seen the pressures that he's under. So we've seen that um, where Timothy is, there are, these, there are these teachers that are changing the Christian message and they're massively gaining popularity. That, that we see that Timothy's own church is kind of falling apart. People are arguing with each other about nitpicking over details. We saw also last week that the, in the area where he is, there are abusive ministries going on in the name of Christian. Christianity, um, people praying over vulnerable women. And in the midst of all of that, Timothy's life would get so much easier, would get so much easier if he just relaxed a bit about this message, if he just adapted it like other people are doing, if he just went with the flow. His life would get so much easier if he abandoned it or he adapted it. And that's the same in every generation. Every generation puts different pressure on Christians, but it's the same for us today, following in Timothy's footsteps. I mean, uh, there'll be times for us as a church, in the life of our church, there will be times when it will be so much easier for us 
if we adapt the message. It'll be so much easier if we abandon it. You know, there'll be times when the Twitter attacks come and the newspaper articles are written about what we believe. And it will be so much easier just to adapt it. And there'll be times for each of us where we feel that pressure individually. And I don't, know, I don't know where that is in your life, but where in your life do you feel the pressure to abandon or to adapt the Christian message? Um, maybe it's at work, the pressure just to keep your head down. Maybe it's with... Um, friends, maybe there's an aspect of Christian teaching that we just find a bit embarrassing. We wish we could change it. Where, where, where in your life do you feel that pressure that Timothy felt, that Christians through the centuries have felt to adapt the message, to, to, to move on from it? When other people are changing it and moving on and twisting it for personal gain, continue in this gospel is what Paul's going to say to us today. Now, what is going to help Timothy and what is going to help us to do that? Well, this week, last week was a bit stern, wasn't it? There was a bit of a warning. This week's a big fat encouragement. We get two big encouragements um, for why we should continue in this gospel um, and not adapt it and not move on from it. The two big encouragements are this. God's son can sustain you through trials, verse 10 to 13. And then God's word equips you for everything verse 15 to 17. Those are the two big encouragements we're going to see. And my prayer this morning is that as we look at the way God provides for us in those ways, we will be filled with confidence um, to stand for him. So first big point, that God's son uh, can sustain you through trials. Have a look down at verse 10 with me. Paul writes to Timothy, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, um, if you remember back to last week, Paul had just been describing uh, the abusive false ministries, the abusive false teachers. We had it read earlier. Just glance again at verses two to four, where he describes them. Do you, know, do you remember how his description was that they, they love themselves um, and they love pleasure and they use this ministry to kind of abuse others and serve themselves? And he told us last week, yeah, that is going to keep happening. But here in verse 10, he, he, he contrasts himself. You see the contrast that he compares himself with those people. It's like he's saying to me, yeah, not, not all people are like that. Just remember what, what, what you saw in me. And what, 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 what did Timothy see in him? You know, all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose and faith. Timothy was Paul's like ministry intern. Um, and I imagine, I don't know, but I imagine when Timothy read these words, like a nostalgic smile must have spread across his face as he remembered actual moments, real moments in life where he'd seen those things, Paul's teaching and way of life and purpose. Maybe moments when they were around the dinner table and Paul announced that the next day they were going to uh, go back on the road again and leave behind all their comfort and support 
again and take the gospel to a really difficult place again where they'll probably face persecution again. I imagine all the people around the table groaning. (laughs) And Timothy seeing in Paul's eyes that purpose. Now we're going to do this because we've got this message of life and hope to share. Timothy had seen that in him. Next, in verse 10, you've seen my uh, patience, love, and endurance. Again, I imagine that smile on Timothy's face widening as he remembers real moments where he saw Paul, um, uh, he could see the exhaustion in Paul's eyes and the pain in Paul's eyes as Paul was abused and mistreated and yet responded with love and kindness, not anger and spite. Imagine that that smile still there as uh, Timothy, Timothy remembered what, was, what comes next uh, in verse 11. Uh, Paul's persecutions and sufferings, the kind of things that happened to him at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Now, um, uh, you can read about all about what happened there in Acts 13 and 14. It's really interesting. Um, uh, Timothy wasn't actually with Paul at that stage, but he would have heard about this because um, in, in Antioch, Paul got up and was preaching, trying to share this message of hope with people. And some lives were changed. But religious leaders in the crowd started shouting out and interrupting. And then they got so angry, they started insulting Paul personally. And then they they managed to whip up enough of a crowd um, that the people were furious with Paul. And they socially didn't just no-platform him. They literally drove him out of the city, um, heaping abuse on him as he went. And he moves on um, to Iconium. and there, basically the same thing happens. He gets up to preach. Those leaders come and they, they whip up the crowd again. Um, and this time they try to murder Paul. He's literally, his heart must have been racing. He's fearing for his life and he has to run. And then he goes to Lystra. Now in Lystra, this is interesting because that's, that's Timothy's hometown. Okay, So Timothy might have actually watched what happened in Lystra. Paul gets up again and he's sharing this message of life and hope again and people's lives are changed again. But those religious leaders come, they whip up the crowd and this time the stones fly. As Paul's standing there sharing this good news, stone hits him and he falls to the floor and then the crowd in a frenzy all pick up stones and are pelting his body with stone. Bam, bam, bam. Until the blood flows and it looks like he's stopped breathing. When they think they've done their worst, when they think he's dead, they move on. And the, the, the believers gather around uh, Paul. They, 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 they carry him outside the city and they pray over what looks like his corpse. And, and wonderfully, possibly miraculously, it's not quite clear, Paul stands up and moves on. And, and then... Uh, it's not quite clear how long after this might have been months it might have been years after Paul carries on sharing sharing the gospel and then he wants to go back to those places imagine that conversation with the people that were with him where he says yeah let's go back and everyone's thinking are you crazy do you not remember what happened last time he says yeah but there are believers there now we've got to support them we've got to keep sharing the gospel but what if they kill you this time Paul that's fine We've got to get back there and share this gospel and when he goes back to Lystra that's the time that Timothy meets him and joins the team But Timothy had, had seen this integrity in Paul. And do, do you see how different that is, that lifestyle from the false teachers that we were looking at last week, who love themselves and pleasure and money and they never suffer for the gospel. Paul is suffering to share this message. And verse 11, have a look down. 
the Lord has rescued him through all of it. Sometimes it seems that was kind of miraculous, like in Antioch. Um, Other times, Timothy had just seen um, Christ giving Paul what he needed, giving him the power, giving him the love to keep um, sharing this gospel, to hold on to it, to not adapt it, to not change it, but to keep loving people and sharing this gospel, even when he was literally being hurt physically for doing so. The Lord had sustained him through all of it. Now, what's, what's, what's that got to do with us? Well, have a look at verse 12. In verse 12, Paul tells us that he's not just a one-off. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Just like uh, Christ himself spoke the truth in love with his whole life and it put him in conflict with the society around him, they killed him. If we follow him as our saviour in Paul's footsteps, this gospel will put us into conflict with the people around us. Now, Paul's not saying, I don't think Paul's saying here that persecution will always be exactly the same, always be to the equal extent through all time. And he's definitely not saying that if you're not being persecuted, you should just be a bit more obnoxious until you are. (laughs) I don't think he's saying that. But he is saying, look, this gospel is going to bring us into conflict with the world around. And when that pressure comes, when you are stung by that insult that someone flings across the office. When the waves of attack crash over you on Twitter. When, as a church, the the newspaper articles start denouncing us. When that pressure comes, God's Son can sustain us through that. Just like he did with Paul. Paul Paul was an apostle, yeah, but he was just a man. (laughs) He had the same gospel that you and I have. He had the same Lord that you and I have. And God's Son can sustain us just like he sustained Paul. It is possible, it is possible when the pressure comes to hold on to the true gospel because God's Son sustains us time and time again. um, That is the story that we hear from people that face persecution um, and hearing their stories can be a massive encouragement. I don't know, do you, do you ever read stories of people from the persecuted church? Does anyone ever do that? Um, it is massively, massively encouraging. In fact, you wouldn't think so, but it is. Um, in fact, I once went to a, uh, well, I used to live in Oxford, and I went to this training day. Um, put on by uh, a Christian organization. And their remit really was to um, uh, to defend the Christian faith in sort of academic intellectual circles. And they put on this training day that was all about doubt. What do I do when I'm really struggling with personal doubts? And I went to this training day expecting not to be able to follow much of it because they're all very clever. Um, and I was expecting, you know, long winding philosophical arguments. But you know what they said? They said, if you're struggling with doubt, get in contact with the persecuted church and read their stories, and see what that does to your faith. So we read stories, it's like, like in Paul's example, of how Christ sustains people through persecution. It is a massive, massive encouragement. God's Son can sustain us through those trials. If you wanted, if you wanted if that's something you've never done and you'd be interested, there's a, go, go on the website Open Doors and sign up to their weekly email. 
and you'll get some of those stories dropping into your inbox each week. God's son can sustain us through those trials, just like he did with Paul. That's the first uh, big encouragement um, to to continue in this gospel. The second big encouragement uh, comes in verse 15 to 17. Um, And the big encouragement, I think, is this. God's word gives you all you need. God's word gives you all you need. So have a look down at verse 15. In fact, I'll read from verse 14. As for you, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped um, for every good work. Now, um, for a moment, just remember the kind of crazy pressure that Timothy's under. He's a young pastor. His church seems to be falling apart. People teaching all kinds of craziness all around him. Abusive ministries happening left, right, and center. How the heck is he going to deal with all of that? How is he going to cope with all of that pressure as a young man? Well, Paul seems to be reminding him, just remember what you've got in your hands. When you're holding the scriptures, just remember what you've got in your hands. First of all, the scriptures are God-breathed. Have a look down at verse 16. All scriptures, um, all scripture is God-breathed. One of the most famous verses on the Bible, this. Um, if I want to speak to you, I have my, 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 my breath has to carry uh, air over my vocal cords to kind of pass my words on to you. Well, likewise, when God wants to communicate with us, he breathed out the words of Scripture. Now, for some of us, this is a familiar truth, um, but it's a phenomenal truth if you think about it. And it's, it's really important we get this right, okay? This, a lot of people misunderstand this. This is not saying that some guys had a private revelation of God and then they wrote it down uh, in their kind of best attempts, kind of flawed but best attempts in the Bible, and that's what we've got. It's not saying that. It's saying that the words that they wrote were the revelation of God. Do you see the difference there? You see, if you, think it's, if you think it's the former, and this is what a lot of people do, they, they, then you think that you've got to sort of reach through the kind of, you've got this kind of flawed, slightly rubbish Bible. But if we reach through that, then and we can kind of speculate on the true revelation that was behind it and kind of reconstruct it and learn from that. But no, this isn't saying, this is saying that the words of Scripture themselves are the revelation, are breathed out by God. And that's fantastic news because for you and me, because that means that when you and I read the Bible, God is speaking to us directly, personally, intimately. It is God breathed. And that's why it's so beneficial. And that's the next big thing that Paul wants Timothy and us to remember in verse 16. Have a look at verse 16. All scripture is God breathed and is useful. Uh, for teaching, rebuking, training, and righteousness. That word useful, it means uh, beneficial or profitable. Like if I was to say to you, I've got this wonderful in, um, investment. If you put your money into it, you'll get loads of profit back. It's that same idea. Profits. It profits us. God's words in Scripture profit us. In what ways? How do they profit us? Well, verse 15, look at it, look at it with me. 
they are able to make us wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. The Bible can open eyes to our need to be saved. It can bring people um, uh, from, from, from death to life, eternity cut off from God to eternity with God forever. Now, how's that for prophets? What could be more valuable than that? The Bible, the scriptures have that power. They can make people wise. Many of us here have experienced that in our own lives. You and I don't have the power to do that for others. However much we'd like to, we can't change people's hearts. We can't make them wise for salvation. We can warn them, we can tell them, we can encourage them. We can't open anyone's eyes. But the scriptures have that power. They can make people wise for salvation. But more than that, it's not just that they equip us and they they can make us wise for salvation. Look at verse 16 again. They also equip us for every good work. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know those scenes at the end of rubbish action movies where there's a big, a big, a big conflict to come and the music kicks in and you see the, uh, the main character getting equipped, you know, putting all the guns in. Um, I've been told I'm never allowed to use the Matrix as an illustration, so I'm not mentioning the Matrix here. Um, but getting equipped, getting, getting tooled up to face whatever's coming. You say that the Bible does that. The Bible equips you for everything that you and I are to do and be in this world. It equips us for every good work. Do you realize that? When you think of the Bible, do you think of it that way? Do we we realize what we've got in our hands? (laughs) This is what Timothy needs to deal with all that madness. This is what you and I need um, uh, to to get through our lives, to keep clinging on to this gospel. Now, I wanted to, to just give you an example of someone who really gets this. There's a little article written by someone that I heard about five years ago, and it's always stuck in my head since. So I'm just going to read it to you. It's quite long, so settle in. Um, But this is just an example of somebody who really gets this truth and has taken it to heart. Listen to what he says. Let me tell you about an amazing experience I had just this morning. Actually, amazing doesn't really do it justice. It was out of this world. This morning, God spoke to me. I know that sounds weird, but I'm sure that's what happened. The God who made the universe actually spoke to me. I could hear what he was saying just as clearly as you can understand what you're reading now. The words he spoke felt like words of life to me. It was like they resounded deep in my heart. There were words of instruction that helped me know him more and understand his ways. Words of challenge that called me to follow him better and love him more. There were words of comfort that spoke to my needs and gave me hope. It was like medicine to my soul. It was like a rousing speech before battle. It was like a love song sung to my heart. And what's more, what happened to me this morning was not a freaky one-off experience. This happens to me most mornings. What I did this morning was read my Bible and prayed. I just read my Bible and prayed. But there's nothing just about just reading your Bible and praying. It really is all that I've described. It really is the most amazing out of this world experience. Every time you read your Bible, God really is speaking to you. 
medicine to your soul, a rousing speech before battle, a love song sung to your hearts. The Holy Spirit spoke through the human authors of the Bible, ensuring that what they wrote truly was the word of God. Their words were God breathed. And the Holy Spirit is at work whenever the Bible's read or heard. He takes those words and makes them live afresh. God speaks to you every time you read the Bible, personally, intimately. I read my Bible regularly because I have to. Not have to in the sense that uh, people will criticize me if I don't or God might get miffed with me, but have to in the same way that I have to eat food every day. This is how I live. Without God's word in my life, I too readily get preoccupied with myself, my fears, my insecurities, my reputation. Without God's word, I'm so much more vulnerable to temptation. I need God's word to realign my heart day by day towards Jesus, that medicine for the soul, that battle speech, that love song. And I need it every day. Look at verse 16 with me again. Can I ask, do you realize what you've got in your hand? when you've got a Bible there. And can I ask, are you personally making the most of it? Are, are, you, are you reading it for yourself each day? That's true as well. If you're, if you're here and you're investigating the Christian faith, I want to ask the same question. Are you making the most of the Bible? The claim here is that that is how God will breathe um, his, his words into your life. That's how God will reveal himself to you. Are you making the most of it? Why not grab a gospel, Mark's gospel, for example, and taste it and see. Taste it and see for yourself. Are you making the most of the Bible? For those of us that are involved in different ministries, uh, DG groups or helping with the kids, are you making are in our friendships? Are we making the most of the Bible? Those of us that are parents, are we making the most of the Bible with our families at home? Um, there are all sorts of amazing resources for how we can get the Bible open. Um, with families, do email James Kite. Can I tell you, he would be so happy to receive that email <laughs> um, if, if you want more information about those kind of resources. Are you making the most of the Bible? It really is everything that we need. So Paul is saying here to Timothy and to us following in his footsteps, continue in the gospel, continue in the gospel. I don't know where those pressure points are going to come for you. I don't know where it is for you or for us as a church family, we're going to feel that pressure to move off, um, feel that pressure to abandon or to adapt. But when that time, when those moments come, God's son can sustain us through those trials and God's word gives us everything we need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much again for your precious word. Um, we thank you so much for the way that your son uh, can sustain and give us strength. I pray that these truths would put steel in our spine. I pray these truths would um, enable and equip us to hold on to your gospel when the pressure comes, um, to adapt it when the pressure comes uh, to move off. We ask in your name and for your glory. Amen.